Welcome to Once Upon a Checklist. I'm Jared Thorpe. That sound that you're hearing is a whole bunch of common cranes chatting with one another in a farmer's field in western Estonia. The birds are here getting ready for migration. They're meeting up to feed and socialize and generally be very noisy before they fly south to the river valleys of Sudan, Ethiopia, Tunisia, and Eritrea. All summer, these cranes have been in the boreal forests of Europe and Russia, raising their young in still wooded swamps and quiet bogs and secluded wetlands. They like to have their space. Even though they're called common, you might only find one pair of common cranes per 100 square kilometers. So maybe it makes sense that there's such a ruckus out here in the field after all those long, lonely summers. They probably have a lot to talk about. This was about two weeks ago. My friend Max and I had met up with a local guide named Tarvo in the parking lot of a supermarket at 6 a.m., and we'd started the day watching a different group of cranes wake up out in the mud flats of Matsalu National Park. When we arrived, all the birds, about 300 of them, were asleep off in the distance, standing on one leg with their heads tucked under a wing. And then some of the cranes ruffled their feathers and started milling around with long-legged steps. After a few minutes, one bird hopped up into the air and stretched its wings out wide. It flapped twice, hovering over all the other cranes, and then it settled back down. The next ten minutes were like watching a pot come to boil. More cranes jumped and flapped, and then more and more, until they were all in a rolling simmer of legs and wings and bills. A few minutes later, some type of consensus was reached, and the birds took off all at once. It was a clean launch, no stragglers. We got back into the car, we were exuberant, and I opened up my eBird checklist. 600 common cranes. Tarbo told us we were lucky to have seen such a big flock so early in the staging season and that we wouldn't see them in such big groups again that day. Eh, except we did. All a chatter in this farmer's field. We'd seen about a hundred birds from the car, so we stopped. But when we parked the car and got out, we could, we could hear that there were more birds behind a little copse of trees that elbowed out into the field. Cranes, in general, are very easily spooked, so we crept step by muddy step around the corner of trees and that's when we saw just how many birds there were a thousand cranes and then we crept a little further and even more of the field came into view more cranes you can hear me at the end of this clip muttering oh my god i think i edited out about 15 more oh my gods and the rest of it in the first episode of once upon a checklist we talked about the intimacy of spending time with a single bird this time we're going to talk about what it's like to see many birds, a lot of birds, really quite unimaginably huge numbers of birds. This episode contains multitudes. Well, 
Last month, we talked about the mother of all checklists, the Project eBird page where you can see the latest sightings of every single one of the 10,624 bird species on Earth. If you missed that episode, for some reason, I'll give you a second to press pause and go back and listen to it. You done? Okay, good. So there's a version of this gigantic list which, instead of showing the most recent counts for each species, shows the all-time high counts. You can pick any bird you can think of and find the largest number of that bird that has been seen at the same time. Hey, Pi, what's your favorite time of bird? Um, bald eagle. Bald eagle. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, let's look it up. Uh, okay. Saturday, the 18th of December, 2010, in the Old Orchard Campground in Fraser Valley, British Columbia, somebody saw 7,362 bald eagles. Well, that's like every single, like, um, that's like the size, that would be the size of an Empire State Building. An Empire State Building where the yeah. bald eagles. Yeah, so, um, if you, um, stack them in the shape of the Empire State Building, they would be the exact same size. <laughs> You might be close, actually. Um, what's your second type of favorite Blue bird? Blue jay? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's look that one up. Blue jay. Oh, wow. Okay, okay, hang on. Other side of Canada, in, in, in Ontario, on the 1st of October, 2009, somebody counted, are you ready for it? Mm-hmm. 158,300 blue jays. No way. That would be like, um, um, like a... Half of half of Jupiter. Half of half of Jupiter of Blue Jays. I think. <laughs> or it could have just been um, two of the Empire State Buildings. Wow, that's high. A group of eagles, by the way, is called a convocation. A bunch of Blue Jays is called a band. Those cranes in the field were a sedge. The collective noun for my favorite bird, the Malachite Kingfisher, is a realm. The largest realm of Malachites, 127 of them, was seen in Kenya in 1995. I spent hours just scrolling and clicking through all of these high-count checklists. I wanted to inhabit each and every one of them. 55,000 tundra swans, 87,000 leeches storm petrels, 200,000 common nighthawks. Eventually, I wrote a script to extract the comments so I didn't have to do all that clicking. There were A lot of pretty terse comments, given the kinds of spectacles we're talking about. Charles Francis, who watched half a million black nest swiftlets, just wrote one short sentence. Minimum estimate of numbers in cave at night. Steve Lister, that's his real name, saw 225,250 Manx shearwaters, and he only had this to say. Heavy passage west. Others were more ebullient. The word awesome appears a lot, as does amazing and spectacular. The high count of tufted puffins, just this gorgeous Pacific species that grows long, pale yellow head plumes for breeding season, came on May 24th, 2018. Kathy Mim Dunning was out in Alaska with some friends. She was looking for some seabirds. The goal on this one was, I believe, Kitlitz's murrelet and um, the red-faced cormorant. And we, the basic target was to go out to the baby islands, which are northeast of Dutch Harbor itself, and just kind of cruise about there looking for whatever we can find. Uh, We got out there, and the seas were pretty calm, so it was easy to view. It wasn't stomach-turning to try to look through your binoculars. And the we got into a, 
a flock of of puffins, predominantly tufted. There were a handful of horned puffins in there. I think it was my friend Joey that remarked, holy bleep, (laughs) these are all tufted puffins, as far as the eye can see. A group of puffins, if you're wondering, is called an improbability. Everywhere you look, they were sprinkled all over the water, you know, like salt on potato chips type of thing. It was, it was awesome. Kathy had made a deal with her boatmates earlier that they'd help cut up all the smelly fish to use for chumming and that she'd keep the checklist. Now, though, she was in the middle of this huge group of birds and she needed to count them. They weren't a flock. It was just, they were just spread all evenly all over the water in this area. So that's what made it so hard to count because they were just so dispersed. At times, there'd be flocks flying by, but the ones sitting on the water were just scattered. Kathy needed to come up with some kind of a number to put on the list, so she went for consensus. Well, I believe it was just Joey and I who really kind of worked the numbers. And we kind of looked at each other and we said, we each threw out a number. I think we both came up with 10,000 independently. And we both said, and that's probably low. But it was a number that we could both say confidently there were at least 10,000 puffins there. You know, there's, as you look further and further out in the distance, it becomes harder to say definitively, am I looking at you know, tufted? Am I looking at horned? Am I looking at something else? So we had to keep it within the scope of what we could identify with some degree of certainty. This is a trend that you see when you start reading a lot of comments on high count lists. People are trying their best to be conservative. A lot of people say directly that the real number might be larger, sometimes double or triple what they end up recording. And when you get into the really big numbers, birders are often pretty honest that the number they've submitted is really just a guess. One of the high counts that captivated me the most was of a million sulfur-throated finches on the side of a highway in northwestern Peru. The counter was Matt Brady. I tried to reach out to Matt in a couple of ways, but I had no luck. So I hired a professional voice actor to read his checklist notes. It's a very rough estimate of an absolutely enormous flock. Photos and video don't really do it justice. Lots of thousands were perched in a hedgerow bordering a large dirt holding area where grain and rice must have been stored recently. Large flocks of thousands were constantly overhead. As we fledged them from the hedgerow, they amassed on the ground and began feeding, forming a quivering carpet of er birds. Portions of the flock would rise up en masse and continue foraging. Our estimate of one million! is not based on much more than this was one of the densest and largest congregations of small birds we've ever seen. There's kind of a circular logic going on here. Matt wrote down a million because it was a whole lot of birds, and a million seemed like the right number for a whole lot of birds. He does end the comment, by the way, by inviting others to give their best shot at an estimate from his photos and videos. So if this whole discussion has got you amped up to do some bird counting, I'll post the link in the resources for this episode. A group of finches is called a charm. This Peruvian charm, a million birds, is the 36th highest high count 
for a species on eBird. Going up the ladder is a bit mind-boggling. Number 32. A million fork-tailed flycatchers in Venezuela. Number 28. A million lace and albatross on the Midway Atoll. Number 24. A million passenger pigeons in Alabama in 1881. Number 19, 1.5 million American robins in Buchanan County, Missouri. Number 11, 2.5 million snow geese on a lake in Seneca County, New York. Number 7, 4 million common grackles on Christmas Day, 2018, in Pennsylvania. Number 3, 6 million brambling in a roost in Slovenia. Number 2, 7.6 million red-winged blackbirds in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1975. And then there's number one, the high count of the high counts. All right. Uh, Hi, my name is Van Ramson. I'm a retired ornithologist and a lifelong birder. On Wednesday, the 20th of April, 1988, Van took an old professor of his from Stanford, Paul Elric, who was visiting Louisiana, Outbirding. He was hoping that the conditions might be right for a pretty remarkable natural phenomenon called fallout. The, the deal is that the birds literally uh, fall out of the sky when they're migrating when weather conditions are inappropriate. So headwinds or rain or both, uh, they drop out of the sky and uh, seek cover and shelter in most cases. And so if they're crossing the Gulf of Mexico in spring, uh, they've been flying for hours and hours, and they are desperate. And so some of the greatest fallouts occur right along the coast in the first line of trees uh, bordering the ocean. And uh, so sometimes phenomenal numbers of migrants can be grounded there. One day we will do a fallout episode, but mm, this isn't it. There was no fallout. Still, they had a pretty good day, 113 species. I'd never been birding in Louisiana, so as I scroll down this list, I get pretty jealous. There's a smorgasbord of shorebirds, dowagers and gallinules and avocets and sandpipers. There are American pelicans and white-faced ibis and roseate spoonbills. A broad-winged hawk, nine loggerhead shrike, and then, oh, and then there it is. I'm going to let Van say it. Well, according to my field notes, we estimated 10 million tree swallows. Uh, I'm sorry, what? Let's play that again. Well, according to my field notes, we estimated 10 million tree swallows. And it is a it was a spectacle. We might be off by an order of magnitude, but not by uh, much. I have never seen that many birds in the air at once. Uh, It was more like looking at massive swarms of midges than birds, as far as the eye could see. If you're picturing an orderly flock in your head, like a murmuration of starlings you might have seen in a YouTube video, uh, this isn't that. The word for a group of swallows is a swarm. They're swirling around. Uh, No collisions are involved, which is a testimony to the coordination of the avian cerebellum uh, in high density. And uh, what what, what they were, this was at the end of the day, and uh, they were um, congregating to roost in the marshes 
north of uh, the town of Cameron in Louisiana for the night. And uh, they don't fly straight into the roost. They swirl around in giant swarms for who knows where. Maybe they're feeding one last feed before dusk, uh, before dropping down into, into the marsh. Of course, I had to ask how Van arrived at the number 10 million. Just to put that number into context briefly, t- 10 million is the population of Seoul, Korea. If you made a pile of paper with 10 million sheets, that pile would be over 3,000 feet tall. And we were just flabbergasted by the uncountable volume of uh, tree swallows in the air. This is towards the end of the day. And uh, I, I told Paul, Paul, you know, there must be, there must be a hundred thousand tree swallows there. You know, it's like this major mental barrier to go up over a hundred thousand. And uh, Dr. Ehrlich looked at me, you know, kind of, you know, funny look on his face. And he said, a hundred thousand. Are you kidding me? Okay. So let's go bit through some basic math fan. And uh, so he proceeded to explain to me and remind me that, uh, a 100 by 100 square was 10,000, and that a 100 by 100 cube uh, was a million birds. And you know, it, it, he said, how many cubes of 100 by 100 by 100 do you think you see here? And you know, the, the, the most conservative, the most conservative count that I could come up was 10 of those. And he agreed, you know, we sort of had a, we, we sort of framed out the sky and tried to think of how many 100 by 100 by 100 cubes there were. And no matter how many times a, a, a cube 100, it always comes out to 1 million. And we had, uh, uh, to the best of our abilities, at least 10 of those 100 by 100 cubes. Van told me that this lesson, standing in a marsh in Louisiana, entirely changed the way he thought about counting birds. It, it really did. It took uh, uh, Paul Ehrlich and his entomological, you know, methods of of counting to sort of knock me uh, out of this uh, this uh, paralytic framework of you know you you just have to dumb down your your uh, numbers to something that sounds more reasonable, even though it doesn't make any sense. This rings true with so many of the comments that I read when I was roaming through the eBird high counts, of people estimating low just to be on the safe side. I had a chance to see some of the data behind this undercounting phenomenon earlier in the year at home in New York. There was a really rare bird called a slaty bat gull that had appeared on the frozen ice of the Central Park Reservoir, and birders showed up in droves to see it. Finding the bird out there on the ice was very Where's Waldo. We were looking for a gray and white gull amongst a huge crowd of other slightly different gray and white gulls, mostly herring gulls and ring-billed gulls. Everybody agreed about how many slaty bat gulls there were. One. But... Looking at the checklist submitted that day, it was an absolutely huge range of estimates for how many gulls had been on the ice in total. Some birders counted less than 300 gulls, while others counted well over 2,000. 
Have I mentioned, by the way, that a group of gulls is called a squabble? Putting on my data analyst hat, I plotted all of the counts and saw that there was some consensus. There was a peak in the distribution of guesses at around 600 gulls. But when I scrolled down to the bottom of the guesses, to the high counts, I noticed something really interesting. The very highest estimates came from two of New York City's most experienced birders. These are birders who just have a great amount of history with counting large amounts of birds and and large amounts of gulls in particular. I spoke with one of them about how he arrived at his count, and his answer was pretty much the same one as Van gave me. Here's Van with a quick lesson on how to count birds. You know, we're, we're, we're not bad at estimating uh, one dimension, a linear line. I guess that's the only kind of line there is, isn't there? It's a linear one of geese. We can do okay on that, although we tend to undercount it. But as soon as we send, a, as soon as we add a second dimension, a depth, uh, a a one hundred, a, a line one hundred birds long that's ten birds wide, that's there's a thousand birds, you know. And if it's it, it, and the we're terrible at uh, two dimensions, then you add a third dimension, and we're t- we're just hopeless with uh, reasoning in three dimensional numbers and things. Uh, uh, compound so quickly that our estimates of numbers of flocking birds, especially densely flocking birds, are extremely low. So I teach what what I I, uh, try to teach all my uh, birding friends is think of 10 by 10 or 100 by 100 blocks. Think of squares uh, out there, or if the birds are up in the air, think of cubes. And that's, you're going to come closer to the real number using that method rather than some, you know, qualitative assessment of how many birds are out there. Okay. If you are an ecologist, or if you watched a lot of late night television in the 1980s, you might be asking yourself a question right now. Is the Paul Ehrlich out there in the marsh with Dan and the swallows, is it, is it that Paul Ehrlich? Well, yes. It's that Paul Ehrlich. A lepidopterist by training, he began studying parasitic mites and their relationship with butterflies in the late 1950s. Ehrlich was deeply affected by reading Rachel Carson's Silent Spring in 1962. And by the end of the decade, he was convinced that the human race was careening towards environmental disaster. In 1968, with his wife Anne, he wrote and published The Population Bomb. The book picked up where Thomas Malthus had left off, was arguing that the curve of human population growth far outpaced our capacity to grow food, and included a series of projections that imagined futures where the population and food production curves remained the same, massive famines and global extinctions. The Ehrlichs projected that nine-tenths of the original tropical rainforests could be gone by the year 2000, and that by 1995, Most freshwater fish could be extinct because of pollution. Ehrlich seemed happy to play the alarmist. By 1995, he once said, enough millions will have died to reduce the Earth's population to some acceptable level, like 1.5 billion people. The population bomb was a massive bestseller. It sold 3 million copies. Paul Ehrlich was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson 20 times. Food production 
though, well, it did grow to match population, which is now 7.75 billion. Only 64% of the rainforest is gone, which is a little better. Most freshwater fish are not extinct, and many are. So are many parasitic mites and butterflies and birds. There's a whole other episode to be made on a whole other podcast about Ehrlich and his book, about what it got wrong and right. I don't really have a take. I'd like instead to just think about this particular Paul Ehrlich, sending out there with 10 million swallows, 20 years after writing the population bomb, it must have been some comfort for him to see a natural spectacle on such a grand scale. I, I, you know, I said, Paul, there aren't, I don't think there's 10 million tree swallows in the world. This is impossible. And he said, well, you know, run the numbers again and tell me how many, you know, what is 100 by 100 by 100 come up? And uh, it turns out the partners in flight estimate for the world population of tree swallows is something like 19 million or something like that. Uh, so if we were anywhere close, uh, we were seeing you know, maybe half of the world's tree swallow population uh, as migrants uh, coming down to roost in one day in a few square miles of marsh in Cameron Parish. This episode started with me and 1,600 cranes in a farmer's field. Maybe I didn't say it clearly enough at first, but it was emotional. It was filled with wonder, with glee. There's something about seeing tons of birds that just does this. You could hear it in Van's voice 25 years later. It was overwhelming. Uh, you know, the word surreal is overused, but I don't know how to describe it. You, you're witnessing something that you think nobody's going to believe these numbers. Okay. You know, even though you can describe a dense swarm of tree swallows as far as the eye could see, by the way, they went off into the distance. We could, these are just the ones we could see. And it was overwhelming. I asked Kathy Dunning just exactly what she'd been feeling when she was out there in Alaska on the water, surrounded by puffins. Oh, boy. That's a good question. I, I, I like your, your question earlier about, you know, it would be hard to stop laughing. And to some extent, I think that that was one emotion. Um, you know, I, I, I adore puffins. They're so cute. <laughs> um, I, I, I think the emotion I just had was I was happy to be out there. I was happy to be able to see such an, you know, just such a neat experience. It was just, you know. That's that's one of the reasons I bird is to go out and have these kind of um, these positive experiences where you can you can see something like that and just say, "Wow, nature is just amazing." Um, so I, I think happy would be my primary emotion. This year has been a really hard one for me. I suffer from depression and anxiety. Some days when I get out of bed, I have to search pretty hard for hope, particularly where the future of the planet is concerned. So, right as I was leaving that farmer's field, kicking mud off my boots before I got back into Tarvo's car, I wrapped up my crane joy in a careful little package, put it up on a special shelf so I can take little bits from it as needed. I'll put Kathy's happiness, her puffin happiness, and Van's exhilaration up there on the shelf too. 
If you find yourself one day needing a little bit of extra glee, well, go ahead. Help yourself. Next month on the podcast, we're going to talk about the checklist that changed our lives, about the times when we left to go birding and came back as different people. Maybe you met the person you were going to marry. Maybe you almost died. Maybe you were reborn. In any case, I want to hear from you. You can email me with your checklist story at O-U-A-C at substack.com, or you can always get me on Twitter. In the meantime... Once Upon a Checklist is a listener-supported podcast. That's my way of saying that I made this whole thing for free, and if you want to help me pay my rent and buy food and keep telling these stories, there's a couple ways for you to chip in. First, you can become a paid subscriber on Substack. It's 7 bucks a month. It gets you some extra stuff and mostly a sense of well-being, which is a pretty good deal. Second, for every episode of this podcast, I'm making a special print. Last month's, which featured the birds of Guam, well, it turned out pretty great. You can check it out on the blog. Uh, the one for this episode maybe is going to be even better. Uh, it's pretty magic, if I do say so myself. I'm going to share some details maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. Anyways, check out the blog. I think you'll like it. And that's it. I'll see you next month. <laughs>